Well, good morning. Thanks, Brother Randy. Appreciate that. What an, what an encouragement uh, to continue to hear about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be encouraged this time of year to think about, think about our, our Lord coming into the world. Um, what, a, what a joy for us as, uh, as believers. Uh, you know, this is, this, is, um, this is God's moment, isn't it? It's, it's, his, it's his time. It's his, uh, the time that we set aside each week to gather as a, um, a people. And um, very, very thankful to share this with you. We're in 1 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 16. Uh, Brother Harry has read it. I won't take time to read all of it together. We'll look at the different sections as we go. But uh, I wanted to, to talk to you today uh, on this topic, the Lord provides a king. The Lord provides a king. And boy, what a, what a great theme for this time of year. Amen? Amen. The Lord provides a king. Well, let me, let me just kind of give some introductory thoughts and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump in here. Listen, of all life on, on planet Earth... We as uh, human beings are probably the most needy. Can you, can you think of another creature on this, on this uh, rock that God has created that, that has to spend uh, at least 18 years or more with its parents? Uh, I mean, I just I, I can't think of, uh, of, of any creature. I mean, I was thinking about my own children in terms of how fragile they were when they were for, first born. I remember, I remember uh, Micah uh, being born, and uh, man, just seemed so fragile. I was afraid to hold her. I didn't know how to hold her. You know, the neck's just flopping around. You know, it's like, <laughs> things are so, so fragile. You know, and then they, 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 they start getting a little older and then you know of course you know as they get older you want them to, to experience a little more dependence and and uh, you know freedom and you know not be as needy as they, as they you know are when they're little and so at some point I you know I sat her down and I said listen you've been here for three years it's time to start figuring some things out so anyway um, you know, even as adults, we're needy, right? We're, we're, we're needy. We are a needy folk. Uh, this is certainly why I think God births us into family units. And, and these family units make up communities. And by God's design, these communities make up larger structures within society and, of course, nations that provide what laws and, and structures and protections for its people. And boy, this is even true, maybe even greaterly true in, in the spiritual realm. For just like our, our physical birth, we, we have no, we have total inability to birth ourselves into the kingdom of God, right? Praise be to God that, that, that God Himself births us into His family so that He Himself becomes our Father. Isn't that wonderful? And, and, we're, and we're placed into things like this thing, this institution He's created called the church where we have this, this family of faith. And we're birthed into a kingdom where God Himself has given us a king Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because of that, because we're birthed into this kingdom, we are the recipients of special graces from God. Yes. And there are certain laws, and there are certain provisions and structures by which God places in us in these in this kingdom, right? And there's certainly salvation for us in this kingdom, a full and rich and eternal salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. Hmm. Listen, this morning, I want, you, I want you to be in awe of our God today, and of course every day, to know Him more and to love Him more as you witness the wonderful ways in which He provides for His people. We, we, are a, we are a needy people. And God has provided for us, to His praise, a wonderful King, King Jesus. 
Even Samuel the prophet here in this passage, you know, you guys remember Samuel. I mean, he's, he's been a, 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 a steady presence in the midst of all the rocky road of Israel here in his, in his life. I mean, here, here's the prophet, here's the priest, here, here's the judge, and he seems to be very, very needy here, even in this first verse. What is he doing? He's weeping. He's weeping. And there's, and, and there's something that, that's going on in Samuel that only the Lord can relieve. A grief too deep to be relieved by any man. And so we start where, there with verse 1. And let's to get a little context there. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint uh, for me whom I, I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to a sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. That gives us a little context right here, what's, what's going on. You guys, I, I won't take time to go back over the first 15 chapters of verse, uh, First Samuel, even though we haven't been here in a while. But just so to remind you, the first king of Israel, Saul, has been rejected. He's been rejected by God uh, because of his disobedience. Because he rejected God, God has rejected him from being king of over Israel. Now, now you know something is up when Samuel comes to your town. Something's going on. Something serious. The elders here are trembling in fear. And maybe they're thinking that, that Samuel's gotten some 411 about some, some sin there in their town, right? Some injustice or idolatry that needed to be dealt with. I mean, they knew Samuel's reputation for holiness. And maybe they thought he was there for judgment. Or maybe all the anxiety and sweating was political, Right? We already see what, how, how Samuel responds to God. Most certainly they knew about uh, Samuel and Saul's kind of falling out. Samuel's gone one way. Saul's gone another way. And maybe they're thinking, this is, uh, this is going to be tough. If, if we receive Samuel, Saul might retaliate against us in some way. Well, what a relief it must have been to learn that he was there to sacrifice. Or was he? <laughs> uh, whatever the case may be, a heifer never looks so good. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. But there, there, there's still something hidden. There's still something hidden. No one suspected that Samuel was there in Bethlehem to pick a new king to rule God's kingdom here on earth. Even Samuel had his limits, didn't he? I mean, he knew that the Lord had provided for himself a king among Jesse's sons, but, but Samuel didn't know the details. He didn't know which of the sons. He only know, knew what Jehovah had told him, You shall anoint for, him, for me him whom I declare to you, he says. I mean, how much can a heifer hide? Well, let's pray and then we'll find out. Father, we thank you for uh, your love for us and Your kindness to us. Father, we ask that You would reveal through Your Word the truth of this passage. And that, that truth would, would comfort and encourage and challenge us to think and to live rightly. To live in a manner that pleases You. God, help us to understand and to apply. To Your praise we ask. Amen.
Well, let me, let me give you a preliminary statement because I know some of you are immediately thinking, you know, here, God, God seems to be concealing some things here a little bit with the, with the scenario, with the sacrifice. And I just want to say some preliminary stuff here really quickly for those of you that are struggling with that. There, there are a great number of critical commentaries that will speak in great detail about this scenario of God's concealment there in Bethlehem. Um, but, I want, but I want to... Uh, um, to kind of uh, remind you right up front that whatever God does is always good and right. In fact, that's what the psalmist declared. Uh, God, you are good and what? And you do good. And God can't be anything other than good and He can't do anything other than that which is good. Whatever the Lord does is good and right. And so He has good reason to conceal His intentions there in Bethlehem. Just like the wise men who were warned in a dream not to go back and tell Herod where the baby was born. Just like Rahab hid the spies. Uh, uh, and so there, there are other scenarios there in Scripture, and certainly you can, you can follow those and trace those along in Scripture. A man by the name of Walter Kaiser, in his uh, book on ethics, if you want to do some further study, he will certainly help you in uh, thinking through some of, those, some of those issues concerning God's concealment. But today I want to speak to you about the Lord's provision of a new king. Amen? Yeah, I mean, the key word, I think, provides the theme for the chapter. And the word is provide. It's used in Hebrew some nine times in this chapter. I'm getting a lot of popping. I don't know what's going on there. I'll let you adjust. Um, and you won't see its occurrences in the English translation. It occurs both as a verb and a noun, meaning appearance. It gives the, the idea of, of providing or, or seeing. Real quickly there, look at verses 6 and 7. When they came, he looked on Eliab, or Eliab, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, there it is, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on uh, the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That word is used several times in that passage, but you actually don't see that in the English translation. There it is. The idea is that the one that Jehovah provides or the one looks at is the one that He has chosen. That's the idea. And and so the theme of this chapter is the Lord's provision. In this case, the Lord's provision of a king. I want to give you today just five observations from the text about the Lord's provision of this new king. And the first one is found in verse 1, and that is the comfort in the Lord's provision. The comfort in the Lord's provision. Verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehem for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now again, verse 1 gives us the setting. Saul has been rejected as king. He rejected the Lord, so the Lord has rejected him. And Saul's still in mourning. In fact, if you go back there to the end of chapter 15, you see that's where we left off. Samuel's weeping over, over Saul, right? And so here he is. The Hebrew participle there in verse 1 indicates it was a continuous mourning. He was continually weeping on behalf of Saul. God asked him about it. He says, he says How long? How long? And Samuel is just continuing to go on mourning. Samuel couldn't see what God sees. Samuel saw the immediate trouble, but not the present hope. He didn't have a sort of a professional detachment from the situation 
praise God. It, it must have truly felt like a cold and wet and rainy day that day, that day in Israel. No, no in, in sight in the near future anyway. I mean, he's heartbroken, I think. He's, 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 he, he's, he, he's, he's broken over Saul. He's broken over the situation. Now, now, we're not told why, just that it's for Saul. Maybe it was mourning because he felt some personal failure in the whole situation. I mean, think about it for a moment. Who was it that anointed Saul as king? Samuel did. Samuel was the one that sought him out. Samuel was the one who publicly affirmed him as king. I mean, maybe he he feels like this is some sort of failure in ministry. Those of us in ministry, we understand that, right? Now, Now, we don't know, again, don't know the depth of it, but certainly it was over Saul's rebellion and the Lord's rejection over a kingship that, that it began with, with, with great promise and ended in such a, a dud. I mean, here was a guy who had, who had promise, who had everything, all the makings of a great king, and yet ended in such a horrible way. Samuel had, certainly had great affection for Saul, but maybe it, it went even beyond that. Samuel was a prophet, he was a, a priest, he was, he was the last of the judges, and he was not only that for Saul, but he was also that for a people. Uh-huh. Can you imagine? Maybe his tears were in thinking, what will happen to God's people? Will they fall back into sin? Will there be infighting among God's people? You know, fighting and battling for power now that Saul has been rejected as king? And maybe God's going to give, give the nation over to a, another nation like He had done so many times before all through the book of Judges, right? They go into sin, God delivers them into the hand of an invading army or, or, a, or a people there in Canaan. Maybe that's what he's thinking. But the Lord had a provision for Samuel. <laughs> Amen? He had, a, he had a provision for Israel. He has an answer for Samuel's grief. Verse 1, I have provided for myself a king. <laughs> there it is. In other words, I haven't forsaken you or my people. I, I won't allow my people to become a laughing stock in history. God's not going to let His people go. He, he, he's going to provide new leadership to His own praise. Listen, we, we shouldn't be too hard on Samuel here. You know, we, we have hindsight. We, we see with a, with a bigger picture because we have the whole of, of the entirety of Scripture, but we shouldn't be too hard on Samuel for his weeping. I, I think there's something proper in Samuel's grief, don't you? I mean, he wasn't mourning because his college team lost or because they weren't invited to play in the national championship because they were 13-0. Sorry, Florida State fans. <laughs> He wasn't crying because his Ford Pinto got uh, scratched in the parking lot. He wasn't crying because he got a lump of coal in his stocking for Christmas. Listen, he was grieved over a spiritual disaster that came over one of God's instruments. He, 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 was, praying, he, was, he was praying and he was grieving over... Provision. Verse 6 and 7 says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. <laughs> the Lord looks on the heart. Now look who's been invited to the sacrifice. All the boys of Jesse's household minus one come parading through. And with the elders or the neighbors there to looking on, Samuel's looking and, and he has a hunch. He has an idea that, that who he thinks God is going to choose. right? An intuition of what he thinks God is looking for in a king. Hmm. Now this section, this section certainly highlights human ignorance and divine wisdom. It teaches us that first impressions can be misleading. 
the Lord had told Samuel that he had provided from among Jesse's sons a king for himself. And when Samuel sees Eliab, oh, wow. You can almost see him what, tapping on his horn of oil, right? Getting ready. This is, this is the one. This is it, right? Uh, yeah, and, and, and the Lord has to remind Samuel, listen, it's not human eyes that are going to make the choice. Man sees the outside appearance, but God the heart. This, I think, is a, is a crucial moment in the whole book. A, a moment that exposes a great difference between men and God. Throughout this book, and really the Bible, we see the difference. I mean, you remember back there in chapter 4? What do the people think? Well, if we just parade the ark in front of us, we'll, we'll have victory over our enemies. In other words, they were just simply replacing God with the ark. And then you come up there to chapter 8, and what do they want to do? Instead of replacing God with the ark, they replace God with a human king. Give us a king, like the nations, they said. And what do they get? They get, they get Saul, right? That's, that's, this is the, the way that human wisdom works. That's the difference, right? This replace God. And of course, in both instances, what happened? Disaster. <laughs> but now Samuel is on the scene. And surely, surely we can trust the future of the kingdom to godly Samuel? And the answer is, absolutely not. Absolutely not. The kingdom is only safe in the powerful and wise hands of Jehovah. Back in chapter 3, Eli had to instruct a young and inexperienced Samuel. And now, right here in this chapter, he has to correct a mature Samuel. Here it is. Oh, listen, oh, how we need to cling to God's wisdom. That, that every choice, every life decision we make, we, we, need, we need the filter of heavenly discernment or are in danger of disaster. God sees with greater and perfect clarity what is best for us. We only see the superficial apart from His illuminating Word. Right? Listen, but we can understand Samuel's thinking, can't we? I mean, look at this guy, Eliab. I mean, he seems to be an impressive work of manhood. I mean, he was tall. He was, he was handsome. I mean, evidently he made a, a good first impression. Samuel's convinced. This, this fellow would make a fine king. He has all, he has all, uh, all the things that a, that a man should, should have. I mean, he's all man with social grace as well. Uh-huh. This was an all-Bethlehem kind of guy. Maybe an all-Israel kind of guy. He might have been the star pitcher for Bethlehem High School. Who knows? He had an appearance and height. Uh, the point is that he stood out among the rest. He, he was somebody who was distinct. Everyone must have thought, this fella really has a future somewhere, right? But as mesmerized as Samuel or others may have been, the Lord knew the truth. What does he say? Man looks on the appearance, but God, what? Looks on the heart. This is how God operates to His own praise. Thankfully so. If Samuel had been left to himself, uh, we can see what would have happened. Now I hope immediately your minds are going back to chapter 9, verse 2, of the description of who? Saul. Yeah, Saul. Remember, he was handsome and he was tall. He was taller and more handsome than all. This was the guy. Samuel is sure he's found the Lord's anointed in Eliab. But the Lord saved Samuel from more heartache and all Israel from more disaster. I have rejected him, he says. Eliab is a man after Saul's image. God is saving Israel from Saul, scene number two. Now, I want to pause and I want to say that a man or woman's appearance does not contain any virtue in and of itself. 
Do you understand that? I hope all of you, most of you men here will say hallelujah. Thank you for that. Yeah. God is not opposing good looks or, or, or positive physical attributes. Being ugly doesn't make you qualified or fit for the kingdom. Do you understand that? You men understand that. God calls all kinds of folks to service in His kingdom, to His praise. Uh, repulsive and pretty. Do not judge by appearances. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment, He says. Think about how most churches pick a pastor. They want a, they want a good speaker. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. They want a people person. They want a person who meets other people well. He or she is smooth in the pulpit. Right? They can really work up and wake up a crowd. Right, But most don't ask things like, how does he pray? Amen. Does he like to spend time with his wife? Mm. What's he like when nobody's looking at him? Mm. Yeah. Does he have a sincere interest in the things of God? Mm. This text reveals that God often saves us from our saviors. Mm. From our self-chosen solutions to kingdom needs. To his praise, by the way. Few, if ever, few, if, if, if any, would have ever picked a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, born to this obscure woman, if God had not told us, "This is the one that I've chosen to be king." That's right. Our friend Isaiah said this. He said, "He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we." esteemed him not and yet uh, and yet for all that for all that listen Christ was both the wisdom and the power of God for our salvation amen yes. there's a third observation i want you to see in the text there and this is found in verses 8 to 8 to 12 verses 8 to 12 look there with me if you will then Jesse called Abinadab and he made him pass before Samuel and said neither has the lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the younger, the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down until he comes here. In other words, we, we won't eat. We won't have the meal until he comes. Verse 12, And he sent and he brought him in and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Uh, rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And I want you to see this third point here, and that is the foolishness in the Lord's provision. The foolishness in the Lord's provision. Just hold on just a second. I use the word foolishness because everyone knows in leadership that you pick the most capable. You pick the strongest. Everyone knows that you go with the obvious uh, for a job like this. Right? But you guys, I hope you know this, God is not everyone. <laughs> to His praise. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. He often takes man's wisdom and He flips it upside down. He turns it on its end. He, he confounds the wise and accomplishes things through, through, through means and ways in which we can do nothing except be in all. We would have never done it that way. And you know why? Because we're not God. <laughs> Think about it. The way to life, what is to lose it? 
the way to glory is to humble yourself. I mean, everyone knew when Jesus walked this earth, if you're going to build a church, you don't start with fishermen. They're generally exaggerators. And you don't start with tax collectors because everybody hates them. Because, but that's exactly what Jesus did. <laughs> Think about it. Hmm. Response means, except these are the facts, he's keeping watch over the sheep. Samuel says, send and get him. In other words, there'll be no meal till he comes. No shepherd, no food. That's it. And maybe, he would, maybe that would speed up the process. You guys understand that because we, uh, we have meals here on Sunday and a lot of times that smell is kind of wafting into the room and the preacher's just going on and on and on. But you guys realize, no sermon, no food. <laughs> That's the priority. For Samuel, the priority here was the boy. Go and send for the youngest, the shepherd. So Jesse's youngest comes, sheep smell and all. And the Lord tells Samuel, that's, that's the one. He's the one. Here is another, like so many moments in, in, in Scripture, uh, when, we, when we say things like, man, who would have thunk it? You know, who would have thought it? I mean, who would, who would have ever thought, thought that this, this would happen this way? Jesse certainly thought that way. I mean, his youngest wasn't even invited to the feast. Think about it. I mean, he can stay with the sheep, his father determined. Well, I'll take all my other boys, but, but you know, he's the youngest. He'll stay with the sheep. I mean, he's so obscure, we don't even know his name until verse 13. Right? We haven't been introduced to his name yet. And again, listen, we see the Lord's peculiar way of trampling human wisdom. This is the one, he says. Hmm. I know everybody there would have said, What? What? what are, are you sure about that? <laughs> Listen carefully. Our God is not a slave to our way of doing things. Amen. He, 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 he does things or doesn't do things that seem, seem like to us foolish sometimes. Yet, yet the very things that reveal His wisdom and provide for His people. Someone again might say, I wouldn't have done it that way. And of course you wouldn't because you're not God. How refreshing our God is to trample the wisdom of men for His own glory. Amen? Amen. This time of year, of all times, ought to remind us of this great truth, I think. As we think about David's greater son, the eternal king of glory, the incarnate son wrapped in human flesh. Remember what, it, what, it, what the town folk said about him? Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. They, they said, they said he's, he, he's just one of us. Is not this the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, the Bible says. And they said he associates with sinners. This is Matthew chapter 11. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they said, oh, he's not from the right place. Uh, John chapter 7 once again. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And you remember what they said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. And of course, the greatest kings and messiahs don't suffer and die like a criminal. Matthew chapter 27 he said to others, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Let me ask you, of all these opinions about Jesus, what kind of power did they have? None. 
Absolutely nothing. You know what God said of him? You know what God said? The stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. What does that mean? It means the Lord has made His choice. (laughs) The Lord has made His choice. And we and no one else had a say in it. It seemed foolish to everyone looking, yet it was the wisdom and the power of God and accomplished our great salvation. We should celebrate His choice. We should delight over the Lord's unusual, unguessable ways. And it honors Him, I think, that we delight in all of His wonderful surprises. (laughs) There's a fourth observation I want us to make in the text, and that is the trouble in the Lord's provision. The trouble in the Lord's provision. Look at verse 13 once again. The Bible says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I think we need to look at verse 13 in the larger context of David's life. Here, here's the youngest son of Jesse who, who, who had a house full of boys. You guys know this. We have some house full of boys back there and some... some but uh, the Bible says, uh, uh, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Just talking about children, right? Uh, I mean, it seems like a normal life. It it's, seems to be a quiet, shepherding, farming life. David tends the sheep. I mean, it seems simple, doesn't it? Yeah, there's an occasional lion and bear. But, uh, but for the most part, it's a normal life. However, David's life is getting ready to change drastically. Samuel has emptied his horn of oil. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. and No doubt they didn't fully understand what was going on. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, rushed upon David. Jehovah had chosen David to be the king of Israel and now has equipped him with his spirit for this massive, massive task. But the gift of the Spirit, listen, is, is not merely a graciously preparing of David. The giving of the Spirit is a severe act of God. Let me explain what I mean by that. For no sooner does He anoint and gift His Spirit to David that David enters into conflict. Conflict that will make lions and bears look small in comparison. David would be placed into endless trouble, envy from others, anger, plots to kill him, certainly from Saul, and even later from his own son. The man with a spirit will be hunted, will be betrayed, will be hiding all the way to the end of this book. The Spirit comes, but the trouble begins. And so it was for David's greater son, David's Lord. Even at his birth, Herod tried to kill him. I mean, what could be more encouraging than to see the Spirit of the Lord coming down as a dove to him and to hear the voice from heaven, You're my son. You're you're the one I love. You're the one I'm delighted with. And then what does the Spirit do? The Spirit, what, drives him into the wilderness. And there there's temptation. And there there's the enemy. And there there's trouble from then on, right? All through his public ministry. And all of us who are followers of David's Lord find the same pattern, do we not? We are indwelt by the same life-giving Spirit. And and, and we find pressures and trouble and persecution. May God help us to remember in those moments, to think of David and to think of Jesus Christ, and remember that our trouble is not a sign of God's displeasure, but a sign of sonship. We are under the discipline of a loving Father. Amen? Amen. He does so, listen, I, I think, so that maybe later we'll be like our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and be able to tell stories like David of how the Lord redeemed my life from all distress, he says in the Psalms. 
There's a last and final observation I want us to see in the text. And it's found in verses 14 and following. And now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Now, only God would do something like this. One of the youngest men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took took a donkey laden with uh, bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David uh, with his, uh, his son uh, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and he played it uh, with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well... And the harmful spirit departed from him. This last point here, this last observation, I want you to see the contrast and the irony in the Lord's provision. The contrast and the irony in the Lord's provision. Uh, there, there, there is such a sharp uh, turn from verse 13 to verse 14. You see it? I think the writer wants us, definitely wants us to see that. First of all, let's look at that contrast. The spirit rushes upon David and departs from Saul. The spirit remains with David to equip and empower him, and a harmful spirit from the Lord torments Saul. You see that? David has been chosen. Saul has been rejected. Saul begins to crumble. David begins to rise. That's the contrast. But there's not only a contrast, there's there's great irony here. Think about the proposal for Saul's therapy. I mean, we would have never thought of this. I mean, who would have thought a new king would be giving therapy to the old rejected king? And Saul is clueless about the whole thing, isn't he? So much so that the Bible says he loves David, at least what David did for him, and at least for now. (laughs) And David's playing in presence seems to be the ticket for Saul's peace, doesn't it? Just as the Lord had provided for himself a king, and so Saul asked his servants to provide for himself someone to play the lyre. I mean, how are we to connect all that? Only our God could provide such a scenario to the mystery of His own glory. (laughs) I mean, this is amazing. I mean, look at it. Uh, I think the writer is certainly highlighting it. The Lord's provision is Saul's provision. Doubly provided. (laughs) It's the provided king who keeps the rejected king from falling to pieces. Think about it. Mm -hmm. David is not a, a threat, but a means of grace to Saul. And there's still a sadness to us. Even though though Saul has found therapy, he's still devoid of the Spirit. We might think about David's ministry to Saul a little. Things are going to change soon for David. Saul will not always approve of David. In fact, he's going to hate him and try to kill him often. But I think it's instructive for us. I, I think our lives often follow a similar kind of pattern as servants of Christ in the world. Saul will hate David. Even, even though David will be faithful to Saul, and even, even though David will minister to Saul, he, he's going to hate him. And I think it's going to be true of all God's people in any age that they will be hated for their service. I mean, even, even in the poor and condemned state of the world, it still benefits greatly from Christian people. Do you understand? Yes. And, and, yet, and yet most often we're hated 
Even for our service in the world. John chapter 15, Jesus said, If the world hated, hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, if they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things uh, they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know Him who sent me. Jesus called us, what? The light of the world. He called us the salt of the earth. We are the ones who keep society from rotting into total decay. We are a divinely appointed restraint upon the world's putrefaction. We keep the world from drowning in its own vomit. Ironically, the same vomit that it returns to over and over again and loves. We're not the answer for everything, but what a world it would be if Christ's people were not in it. And can we not think of our Lord Himself when He came into the world? The Bible says He came to His own. Think about that. He came to His own. Why did He come to it? He came to His own for their own benefit. But it says He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. But there's good news in that. But as many as received Him, He gave them what the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on His name. Listen, I hope it's a comfort for you this Christmas that God has provided a King. His chosen is our King. He's the answer to our greatest need to save us from certain disaster because of our sins. I mean, who's going to save us? Who's going to save us? Who's going to save us? Yeah, King Jesus to the rescue. God has provided for us a king. Father, we are um, we're grateful. We're grateful that you are our great provider. We certainly would be lost in every sense of the word if it were not for you providing for us. We thank you for your your unguessable, your mysterious, your your wonderful ways in which you would provide for us. Thank you for David's story. And, and for how We've been instructed by it. But mostly, Lord, we thank You for one greater than David, Your chosen King, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.